0: I am Sanjay Parekh, and I am the host of the Business of Meaning podcast, where we showcase businesses that pursue purpose and profit. Today's guest is Adam Fudakovsky. Adam is the CEO of Switchy, who produced the first smart thermostat, affordable housing, that helps fight fuel poverty and provides social landlords with remote data insights that cut maintenance costs and improve residents' well-being. So hi, Adam, and welcome to the Business of Meaning podcast. It'd be great if you give us an understanding of why you started Switchy and the events that led you to founding a business with a strong social purpose.
1: Thanks, well, it's great to be on, on the show. Thank you for inviting me. Um, so, I mean, the, the business was founded um, out of INTIAD Business School. Uh, we had four founders, and one of them actually uh, had spent 10 years in the affordable housing space. Um, and when when, when Ed, who, who'd been in, in the affordable housing space for 10 years, saw that we were tinkering around with a kind of smart home solution. He immediately said that this technology had a real application in, in, the, in the affordable housing space. Uh, and he took us around uh, a bunch of different social housing providers during one summer. Um, and that led us to sort of believe that there was a, there was a market for this kind of device, um, a device to, to, uh, to optimize people's heating uh, and save them money on their on their fuel bills. Um, and so that's why we created Twitchy. Um, we launched first prototype about nine months after that. Um, and since then really the, the device has been installed in properties primarily to to reduce people's uh, fuel bills, um, uh, particularly those in fuel poverty, uh, but also to help the housing association to understand how the properties are performing. Um, so you know which properties are suffering from damp and mould where the boiler is about to break down where the insulation is failing and to really help them to to understand the things that they need to improve in properties to to to, to improve living conditions for residents
0: that that's, that's really interesting application of the technology uh, as you know we were talking briefly and i was um, in the smart home space not in thermostats but smart home space for a while what, what sensors do your thermostat have that gives you that type of insight?
1: So the, in terms of the the way that the device kind of manages heating it's looking um, really at kind of uh, patterns of, uh, of behavior in the property so we're, we're looking at what temperatures the resident finds comfortable by understanding you know when they turn the thermostat up and down on the screen um, and we're also looking for periods where the property is uh, is occupied or unoccupied to help us to um, to set up the heating profile so that you know it's never heating the property when when the property is unoccupied. So you know if you if you've got information on uh, on, on occupancy and information on uh, the temperatures the resident finds comfortable, and you also know something about the kind of thermal profile of the of the building, so how it heats and cools. You can set up a heating profile automatically that um, manages the heating much more efficiently than than a resident would be able to if, if, they, if they set up a manual profile.
0: So, does the thermostat tune into that particular household? Is there is there an element of um, machine learning or analysis of the data that you're gathering to to understand the the heating profile?
1: Yeah, so it's, I mean, there's there's an element of learning certainly. So. You know all of that information around um, around uh, you know how the property is uh, is occupied or unoccupied, how it heats and cools, um, what temperatures the resident finds comfortable. All of that is fed into an algorithm which produces a profile that says when the heating should come on or off.
0: Um, So that sounds quite a clever device. In terms of the way these devices have been received by the end users. I think you mentioned that you work with housing associations. how How have they been? How have they been received? And how have you introduced those devices into uh, into those uh, people who I guess aren't necessarily looking for smart devices for their for the homes that they're living in?
1: Well, they've been they've been really well received. I think we've been helped by the fact that um, you know smart thermostats have been. Advertised quite heavily on, on the TV, uh, the likes of uh, of Nest and Hive. Um, so people kind of understand what they're getting. Um, I think, you know, traditional thermostats are also really hard to set up properly. So most people will typically have them on, on override. Um, they won't use the time and functionality. And so not having to kind of set up a complex timer is a real bonus for residents. Um, and, you know, everyone wants to save money on their on their fuel bill. So the devices have been really well received. Um, and obviously the, the resident makes a saving on their fuel bill, but uh, they get the device installed for free. Um, it's the landlord that actually pays for for the device and the installation.
0: Got it, got it. Okay, so in terms of targeting uh, social housing, you, you obviously um, uh, have devised a, a smart thermostat why did you pick social housing in particular um, as your as your as your route to market?
1: So traditionally, quite an underserved market um, when it comes to technology. Uh, you know, there's, there are loads of offerings in the consumer space. Um, you know, and some big names out there um, targeting that space: British Gas and and Google, obviously, who own Nest and Hive. Um, there's nobody really doing anything. Um, for, for for the affordable housing space and and we felt that that was um that was a that was a gap and uh, and a gap that needs to be addressed
0: okay uh, great and in terms of your your values in the business it'd be great if you could just uh, talk a little bit about what they are and how you came about uh, d- defining those values
1: i think it's kind of um it's probably worth talking about um the economics behind behind the device because um yeah. you know the the, uh, the the resident obviously gets the device for free uh, and they make they make the fuel saving and um you know the, the the people that we're selling to housing associations and and local authorities they've got a they have all got a social mission uh to 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 provide high quality accommodation for their their residents, um, but they and, th- and they will they will put in stuff that, that that just delivers that. But it makes it an easier um, an easier decision for them if the piece of kit that you're selling them also saves them money. Uh, and so what we've come up with, I think, is is quite a um, a smart business model, which which means that both the resident and the landlord benefit from the installation of this device. So obviously, resident benefits with a with a fuel saving, um, but the landlord benefits by reducing their asset management costs um, and um, the amount of money they need to spend in response to repairs for stuff like uh, damp and mold repairs, um, building fabric repairs, you know, boiler call-outs, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so because we've created a real incentive for the landlord to install this kit, uh, we can then have, you know, a massive impact on people's fuel bills um, because, you know, there's, a, there's an impetus for the landlord to actually roll it out in volume.
0: Okay, so, so it has a double-sided benefit and it benefits, obviously, the individual who lives in the house because their bills will fall as they use their heating in a more efficient way. They'll also have a nicer uh, environment because there'll be less uh, propensity for damp um, just more comfortable and more suited to their living arrangements and then of course the the landlord will benefit uh, because the house or the property is being heated in the correct way uh, which prevents like you said um, damp and, and mold uh, and also that you you will know as a landlord when your um, boiler and heating needs needs to be serviced so sounds like a, a great proposition for 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 both sides, in terms of um, how how the device is actually, uh, or how you make money out of this, my guess is that you sell the device to the landlords. Is, is there an ongoing fee that that's that's then paid for, for the data that you're that you're sending
1: to the landlords? Yes, the landlord will typically buy the, the the piece of kit off us and then install it themselves, or they use their one of their contractors to install it. And then there's a there's an annual fee which which covers you know all the connectivity associated with the device um, and access to uh, our analytics platform um, and we're really you know I call us a um, a hardware enabled software business so you know we're making the hardware because nobody else is doing that but um, but uh, you know in principle we'd be happy to buy that hardware from from somewhere else I think the kind of the real differentiator that we have in the market is uh, is the, the analytics that we lay on top of the raw sensor data that's coming out of our device, which you know, can inform the landlord of those issues that might be occurring in a property, those building fabric issues, so they can resolve them quickly and, and deliver better housing for their residents.
0: So you said something quite interesting there. You, you build your own hardware, um, but you don't see that necessarily as core. What, why did you then build the hardware initially?
1: So our, our hardware is quite different to stuff that's available on the market at the moment, um, and there's a there's a few kind of key key differentiators. Um, one of them being uh, that we use uh, the mobile phone network for all our communication. So typically, other devices will use Wi-Fi, um, but if you want to install, if as a landlord you want to install kit in people's properties, uh, you can't rely on. On their Wi-Fi connection, you know, you need to provide your own connectivity. Um, so that's been a that's been a big difference. Um, and uh, and then also the, the 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 kind of enterprise nature of the device. You know, we're selling we're selling thousands of devices to a customer, um, and they need to be able to log in and see how all of their properties are performing in one place uh, and manage those devices as well. Um, and that requires quite a kind of different hardware setup from what uh, what uh what some of our competitors in the in the c space would be providing. So you know we've 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 had to we've had to build our own hardware because there's nothing else out there that's really suitable for this market. And I think we've done a really good job of it. Like our hardware is really good and really reliable. But um, I think relying on hardware as your uh, as your kind of USP and um, uh, And competitive advantage is probably a mistake in the long run.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, couldn't agree more with you there. I think that this this phase of a consumer and necessarily cashew is consumer electronics, but this phase of uh, sort of hardware and consumer electronics is very much about giving whatever hardware you choose um, flexibility and functionality. Uh, through through the software and, and like you said, giving a, uh, a uniqueness and a and a competitive advantage through the software, not least because it's easier to control the software than than a, than than the hardware, especially if you want to make changes in relatively short spaces of time. Yeah, so agreed.
1: Yeah.
0: It, in, in terms of um, the the data that you collect and and um, the privacy around that how, how do you how do you manage that how do you ensure that um you're you're sharing the right types of information but not uh, not sharing uh, or exposing uh, tenants or, or guest landlords to to information they wouldn't necessarily want to share
1: yeah absolutely. i mean it's a, like a, it's a really important thing for us to be um to be using data for good and it's one of our kind of core values as well um, and uh, we sort of see that falling into into, into three parts. Really, there's um, there's obviously the kind of legal level element, you know, making sure that you're you're complying with GDPR and the law around data privacy and protection. Um, uh, there's obviously a kind of security element to that as well, so making sure that uh, your data you're collecting um, is 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 secure from from attack. Um, but I think the kind of third and maybe most important thing is actually making sure that residents are properly informed about, um, what data you're collecting and what you're using it for. And that's something that we're really big on. So, you know, the whole, the whole premise of our company is to try and, um, help landlords to deliver exceptional homes to their residents. Um, and so we won't do anything that we feel puts the... Uh, the, the the resident um, in in any sort of jeopardy. So it's um, it's a it's 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 a it's a really it's a really important and there's there's certainly a sort of fine line to be to be trod there. So for example, you know although we will uh, use um, occupancy information to help us derive the heating profile and save the resident money on heating, you know we don't share uh, all of that occupancy data with the landlord because um, uh, because that would in our view create a, a privacy concern um, so we're we're very cautious uh, and careful about um, how we will use the data and what we will allow the landlord to do with that data
0: great no understand adam yeah it's it's a uh, it's a uh... Uh, a very uh, new area I guess and people are still trying to work out the right way to share data so it doesn't compromise privacy and respects both parties. Um, so it sounds like you're, you're, you're going about it the, the, the right way. Um, it would be good if we could just uh, change tack a little bit and understand how you manage um, the business in, in terms of meeting the goals of your investors uh obviously the goals of your customers we talked to talked a bit about that um and and the goals of uh of of your actual end users and how you knit the i guess and sometimes that can be competing uh, uh ideals and goals for for those different parties
1: yeah i mean we to be honest we don't see them as being in conflict with each other um i think the sort of traditional view on uh, social impact businesses uh, is that you're sacrificing um, profit for a purpose, and we don't believe that to, to to be the case with our business. So you know, we talk about this lockstep model of having, um, you know, of having profit directly correlated to uh, to purpose and into impact and, and to impact and I kind of I think it kind of ties back to what I said earlier in the conversation around the fact that we've created a really strong um, business case and proposition for landlords, which means that they are, you know, really keen to install our kit because they know it's going to save their money on their um, on their bottom line. Uh, but by installing the kit and installing it in volume, you know, we're also seeing real impact for the residents um, in terms of, uh, you know savings on, on, on fuel bills and also obviously reduction in, in energy consumption and, and therefore, you know, the impact on on, on the climate. Um, so those two things are like really nicely in step um, and uh, and although, you know, we have had uh, some money from impact investors, um, that's by no means exclusively, uh, you know, our source of investment. We've had plenty of money from from regular investors looking to to maximize profitability as well uh, and i think you know that the 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 modern view on this is that those two things just do not need to be in conflict profit and purpose
0: yeah which is which is great to hear especially if you are dealing with investors that are that are saying that um it's it's it sounds uh like there's uh, you know real change going on in the in the investment community which is, which is, like I um, said. You mentioned that the savings that that um, customers can expect. What's the typical savings that people can actually achieve um, by using your uh, your thermostats? It does
1: uh, it does depend on the uh, on the behaviour of uh, of the residents and their typical kind of living patterns, but. We did recently have a, an independent study d- done by the, um, the NEA, which is a kind of um, fuel poverty charity, uh, and they, um, they they used smart meter data and, and switch installations to try and figure out the savings that we were bringing about. Um, and they came back to us and told us that, uh, you know, on average residents were saving 18% on their fuel bill. Um, but there was a range there. Um, so some were saving less and some were saving more.
0: Right. Sounds sounds really really good. Um, moving back to running running the business, you talked a little bit about um, the, the the sort of values of the company, and, and you see um, profit and purpose as a as a lockstep model. How how do you go about recruiting people into the business that identify with your mission?
1: So I mean identifying cultural fit um is is really important for us during the interview process. It's also one of the things that's actually really hard to test for in an interview context. Um but uh we've done we've done a pretty good job so far. I'm really, really happy, really happy with the team that we've got on board. We've got a talented set of individuals um, you know, who in many cases have um have moved from you know sometimes uh jobs that, that pay them a, a lot more than they get paid at switchy but they actually understand um, the impact they're having here at switchy um, and that's personally very important to them um, uh, and they've they've chosen to join for that reason um, so uh, you know we've managed to 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 attract a really talented bunch of people who share our vision and purpose I think one of the kind of key things um, in In identifying those people is first of all being clear about what your own vision and what your own values are uh, and writing them down. So we went through a long process and we we invested quite a lot of time and energy to get the team together and really distill what our company values are. Uh, We now have those in a a shared document that everyone has access to and we try to um, guide our decision-making in the business using those that set of shared values. So it's so you know, the the, the shared values document is probably only published about um, about nine months ago, but already we're seeing that it's having quite a big impact on on the way that people are behaving in the business and um, uh, and behaving with each other.
0: So how how do you ensure? So that's great that you have that shared um vision document and values how do you ensure over time that the document is is i guess current and also helps with decision making Um, because i think one of the risks of doing this is that everybody writes the document down like this and gets very excited at the beginning but 12 months 18 months into uh, the life of that document it, people start to fade away from the importance of that.
1: I think you're right. That's certainly a risk. I mean, I think part of the um, part of the reason why you know it's been a, it has been properly adopted in the business is that everyone had a hand in, in making it. Um, so right. we have a we have uh, we run a kind of annual working remotely week where we take uh, the whole team away. From the office context, and we 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 decamp to another location, um, and we spend that time, you know, doing some fun stuff during the week. Obviously, some kind of uh, team building activities, but the rest of the time we spend um, on looking at the strategy for the next year. Um, and this is th- that 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 particular working remotely week was where this document was kind of uh, was formulated and finalised. So everyone had a hand in it, and. We're planning to make sure that, that happens every year. That there's basically a kind of refresh of that document, where we look at it and just check if it's still current, if it needs updating, and that everyone has a hand in in that process. Everyone can kind of take take ownership from it. And I think because um, we've got a very flat structure at SwitchC, so there's it's not like a it's not a hierarchical place. And because it's not hierarchical, that means that people often need to take their own decisions on stuff. Um, they won't necessarily have guidance from someone that they're reporting into and so the values document is um, is a really important uh, kind of check and balance on that where people can can reference the values document and say you know i made this decision based on uh, this key value or that key value and actually one of our one of our one of our key values is actually that um that that, the people in the business are trusted um so you know we we hire people who are self-motivated and dependable um and we trust them to manage their own time their own schedule we have we've got an unlimited holiday policy which just means that people have complete autonomy over um when and where they work how much holiday they take uh, and they can really take responsibility for um for the the things that they've agreed to deliver rather than showing up at work and and doing the hours. Uh, We're really, really keen to avoid any kind of concept of FaceTime or, or or showing up to to be seen at work, you know, people free to work from wherever they want um, and just to get the job done. That's the important thing.
0: So that's a really enlightened approach. I I was talking to someone yesterday about presenteeism and I guess you're trying to uh, avoid, avoid that um So I personally believe in the same sort of attitude. Um, you give people a goal, give them the be very clear on what you want them to achieve and then let them let them free to, to go off and achieve that. the um, so one thing that I've always been challenged on is how do you uh, how do you ensure that with all this freedom that you're giving people, especially if they're, you're not necessarily knowing that when or where they are working, how do you make sure that they're delivering on on what you, what you want them to deliver on.
1: So it's been it's been relatively straightforward up until now to to make that happen because we've been a really small team. But we're just now reaching the threshold. We've got twenty two people in the business now, um, and we're reaching the we're reaching a kind of critical threshold where we need to put in place a system that that governs that. And so we're going through the process of implementing. Um, OKRs, which I'm sure you've you've come across, uh, the kind of effectively the kind of Intel, stroke Google um, methodology for for setting objectives, um, and so that that will form a kind of key part of um, uh, of uh, of that of allowing people to be autonomous, but also being really clear about what their goals are. So we're we're um, we're aiming to have that in place for the next financial year, which starts in April we're going through a kind of trial quarter at the moment. Um, but uh, that, that, um, that objective document, that OKR document will become a kind of public document within the company. So everybody can see what everybody's objectives are from, you know, from, from my role uh, as, as CEO and, and, and the other directors to, to, to everyone else really in the organization. So it's totally clear and totally transparent what, what people's objectives are uh, and and uh, not only that but I think kind of it allows it gives people licenses in the business to um, to be demanding of, of colleagues as well and say look this is my objective the companies agree that this is something that we need to achieve in, in this next quarter you know I need your help on this particular thing otherwise my objective is at risk.
0: Yeah, OKR's okay, a great tool, um, but I think they're hard to, to get them to work well, but they're definitely worth the effort because like you say, it's, it's very transparent in terms of uh, right from, from the top down um, what everyone's objectives are and how they interrelate with each other, so yeah it, it, it's, a, it's a brilliant tool um, but yeah it does require a lot of work to get right uh, and I think it's great if you've got people who are working in different locations as well, which sounds like you do. be, be good to just explore that a little bit. Do, so you obviously have an office in, in, in London.
1: Uh,
0: does everybody work in the office or, or, or are people work from home or work from wherever they like it? it what's, the, what's the policy on that or how, how do you manage
1: that? So we, we do have an office and um, to be honest, most, most people still want to come into the office most days. Um, but that's a kind of active choice on the part of those, those individuals. Like we don't, we don't mandate it. We have got, um, we've got, uh, some of our tech team do, do work remotely and come up once a week. Um, we've also got sales guys who are on the road most of the time. So, um, they're not often in the office. And so we've, you know, I think it's a real, it's a real challenge, uh, in this, in this day and age, I guess, to, um, to make sure that people have flexibility to work from where they want, allowing them to be um, you know, the, the most effective that they can be, whilst at the same time balancing that with the kind of need for good communication and teamwork and stuff. So that's basically what we say in our values, we say you know, work from wherever you want, but be conscious of uh, the requirements of your teammates and, and be available where you need to be. Um, we also, we do like a, a daily huddle, a daily stand-up where um, everyone gets to see everyone else's face on on a video. So people either come, uh, either join, you know, from a computer that we have, um, you know, a big screen we have in the office, or if they're on the road, then they'll join remotely. Um, and just, they give a, a very quick kind of two-minute update on what their objectives are for that day. Um, and it's a, it's a nice kind of touch point um, where you, know, you get to kind of see your teammates, know what they're up to, Um, and and it keeps everyone kind of aligned uh, while at the same time not taking up too much of their time.
0: Yeah, it sounds ideal. Uh, Yeah, we did something similar in the last business. Um, One of the struggles we had though and I think we got there in the end is that this difference between those that primarily worked in the office and those that were a little bit more remote for whatever reason, whether it be like you said, salespeople, or we did recruit actually people that lived uh, quite a distance away from the office. And one of the challenges was around ensuring that they became fully part of the organisational culture. And I think that's, that's mm-hmm. actually quite difficult if someone's not in primarily office-based culture.
1: I completely agree. And I think, you know, the certainly what's helped us with that are kind of regular, regular social events. Um, we have a kind of every six weeks, we have a a, a company retrospective where we look back on, on the last six weeks and figure out what's gone well and what's gone badly. And typically we'll have everyone in the room for that. Um, and then, and then I think also this, this kind of this, this, uh, this working remotely week that we had last year was a really great way of bringing the whole team together. And, um, you know, we saw, it's funny how you can kind of be in the same company as other people, but if you're in different departments, you kind of barely ever exchange a word. You know, it, it, you, you can end up in a situation like that. Um, and the, the working remotely, we took us out of that day-to-day context and allowed people to kind of, you know, just just chat informally. You know, talk about their interests, their hobbies, and we did fun stuff together. Um, and I've seen, I've seen that. Um, I've seen the kind of payback from that um, over the over the last few months because people are, are that better bonded, that closer to each other, um, and it's just it's so important if you're trying to create a good working environment to do that kind of stuff and set set time set time aside for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We all work at such an intense pace these days, and and g- giving time for sort of social interactions those uh things that you would just normally wouldn't talk about is 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 critical. I, I agree with you. And it sounds like that whole week was a, a real fun week as well. So um that sounds like a great innovation I'm sure other people would would look to adopt. Um so be good to understand uh what what's next uh for for Switchy, uh, obviously you've started off in thermostats. The the field of um, social housing is is quite a big one. There's lots of um, technology that could be applied. Uh, do you have plans to to expand into other parts of the the home as it relates to social housing?
1: I think we we see our, our niche as being gen- more generally in the kind of landlord market. So you know, next next steps for us might be um, student housing, the private rental sector, and obviously other countries. Um, but we're also evolving to to take in some of the other kind of important services in the home. So um, we're working on being able to, uh, to for example, take port codes out of boilers so that the engineer turns up with the right part, um, linking into ventilation systems to check that they're working properly. We're really trying to to create a, a bit of an ecosystem around our product, and you know, if you think about um, if you think about Google and Samsung and um, uh, and Amazon, like they're all trying to fight for this kind of home hub space with yeah. uh, with, with the Google Home product and, uh, and Alexa, which is now becoming a hub as well. Uh, and we feel there's a sort of analogous market in the in the landlord space where it, where it makes sense to connect some of those uh, those critical devices in the home. Um, to, to help the landlords, you know, manage and maintain the services like the heating and the ventilation, uh, we want to be the provider of choice to do that uh, and to and to and to deliver all the kind of smart analytics and sit on top of it.
0: Makes makes sense, and and the the the, the market's vast. Uh, I'm assuming, especially overseas as well. So I'm sure there's plenty, plenty for you to to go at, Um in terms of the, the way the, I mean your industry is probably more than many is influenced by sort of political decisions, do you see the way the, uh, the politics of housing, especially in the UK is, is going, is that a hindrance to you or a help to your, to your business model?
1: I think, I mean, housing is one part is one part of the equation, but I think the sort of more relevant bit to us is actually the regulation surrounding, um, you know, our, our climate change target. Um, and the government is, you know, particularly kind of the both um, Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy are, are investing a lot of money into uh, combating climate change and technologies that can help them with that mission. And so there's been quite a decent amount of funding for innovation in the space. Um, and you know, we, we've, we've been there is that funding, uh, to help develop our technologies. Um, so I see, you know, I think that that commitments, uh, I imagine is going to continue and it's only going to become more and more of an issue as, as probably inevitably we slip behind our, our targets. So I think, I think it's very positive. Um, the other piece of interesting regulation for us is that the, the government are kind of looking at trying to reform the way that energy performance certificates uh, are done on properties. So, you know, you get a, an EPC rating that says your house is, you know, A, B or C rated. Uh, and that's not a terribly accurate way of actually determining the, the performance of a, of a building. So, the government is, is trying to source better ways of doing that. And, and one, one potential way is, is by using sensors in the property to determine how quickly the property loses heat over time. Um, and we're really bold position to do that.
0: Yeah, that, that, that sounds really exciting. Like say, uh, if you've got the right sensors in there and you, you've got a thermal profile, then then yeah, you, well, it's almost a natural fit really, almost a byproduct. Um, which yeah, that sounds really exciting. Um, so in terms of um, meaning in, in your business, is there is there any advice or, or 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 views you'd like to share with um, the audience around how they could give more meaning into into their business
1: I mean we've been we've been lucky in a sense in that we've chosen a sector which uh, naturally creates impact um, but I think I think you know other businesses you um, can do the same and i think it's it's a it's a really motivating thing for the team to understand what the vision and the purpose of the business is and so we've tried to be quite explicit about that um so that we can all share that vision and share that purpose so i i think you know investing it's tricky with a startup because you're sort of in the early days you're you're running around firefighting all the time you don't really have it doesn't feel like you have time to sort of sit down and think about vision, purpose, values, and all of these things. But I really think that if you don't set them, then they set themselves, and they don't necessarily set themselves in the way that you'd want. So I think at a certain stage, it's really important to get proactive about those things.
0: Yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree more with you on that, Adam. I think, I think it's critical, especially to a startup, because like you say, if you don't set those things, uh, the business could just veer off in a completely different direction and then you end up with unintended consequences and it's not that you can't pull it back to where you'd like it to go it just it just becomes a uh, a lot harder so yeah no, i definitely agree with you there well is there anything else you'd like to share with us today adam before we before we wrap up um
1: I don't think so, no. I mean, it's been really interesting talking to you. Um, So thank you for for your time. Um, No, I don't think so.
0: Great. Well, thanks very much, Adam. Thanks for sharing your story today. and, And thanks for showing us all how you conduct business with meaning. Thank you very much. Thanks again, Adam. It's great to see smart home products benefiting those that are often last to experience new technologies and a device that's also doing its bit to combat climate change. Now, for our listeners, we'd really appreciate it if you could share this podcast with your colleagues and friends. And if you love what you're hearing, it would be great if you could leave a review on iTunes. If you've got any direct feedback, we'd love to hear from you, either via Twitter at BOFMeaning or via email at Sanjay at TheBusinessOfMeaning.com. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you all on the next episode.